Hello and welcome to episode 83 of Tea or Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. And in today's episode, we will be discussing do we have a comfort zone when it comes to reading? Um, and all, all things around comfort reading. Um, and in the second half, we'll be looking at two short-ish novels by the American novelist Willa Cather, A Lost Lady and Lucy Gayhart. Um, before we do that, Rachel, I don't know if you've spotted anything in the news recently. <laughs> so like, how are you at the moment? What's going on? Uh, uh, I should say that we're not going to dwell for too long on coronavirus no. because um, people are hopefully coming to this sort of thing as an escape from that we, for people who don't want to in their face all the time. Yes. So you're all doing sensible things and things you need to do, but um, but we don't want to be thinking about it 24-7. No, quite, quite agree. Um, yes, I'm, I'm very well, actually, considering the circumstances. Um, I think it's, it feels quite different for me because I'm still, I mean, like you, I'm still working from home mm-hmm. and very much on a full-time basis, so I do have that structure to my day. Um, which helps, you know, I have to be up and I need to be at my desk by half past eight and I finish at 4.30 like I always did. So um, that's, I, I haven't actually had time to get bored, whereas I think a lot of people, you know, you see all these yeah, memes yeah. online and everyone's like, oh my goodness, I'm climbing the walls, I've got nothing to do. I'm like, well, I wish I were, I wish I could <laughs> because I'm very busy and actually more busy than I would ordinarily be because I, I can't have conversations with people that I would, uh, everything has to be written down now. So um but yeah, I'm at my sister's in the countryside, which is very nice. Um, in case anyone is worried that I broke lockdown procedure, I have been here for three weeks before the <laughs> lockdown started. Um, no need to phone the police. So you don't need to phone the police. Um, and I've got, I'm very fortunate in that I've got a very, um, I've been able to uh, give my flat to my friend to stay in, who is a key worker in London. And oh, was having, well yeah, she was having to take the train every day. Um, so I've said to her she can use the flat, which is also good because she can pop in and water my plants and things. Um, oh my gosh, you're like a beneficent lady of the manor, basically. I mean, I'm doing what I can. <laughs> um, but it's it's very nice being here because I've got I can walk and go out in the fields and. Um, I'm also able to help my sister with my nephews who, um, homeschooling is hard. Anyone who is a homeschooler, um, I don't know how you do it because getting these three kids to sit down and do some work is, is a challenge. I can tell you that much. <laughs> um, yeah, we're all, it's, it's all a bit tense, but, um, it, they're on Easter holidays now, so it's, we can relax a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it is what it is, isn't it? And I, I actually think, um, I'm just writing a blog post about this today. Hmm. Um, it's I've quite enjoyed the process of not having to worry about doing anything. Like I don't need to be anywhere and I don't need to do anything because there's nothing to do and there's nowhere to go. Um, and I know obviously some people are having an awful time and they're very worried about finances and illness and whatever. And I'm very lucky that I don't have to think about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got a job, I've got an income um and i'm at the moment touch wood not ill um and so uh, i appreciate that for other people it's it's very difficult but for me i just you know actually it's kind of nice to slow down and i hope that this will be something that will be a positive change for the future that people will realize they don't need to buy so much stuff they don't need to be traveling all the time they don't need to use all of these resources i mean today something lovely we were out walking and my sister lives in a village that's on the highest point in kent so when you're up on the highest bit of the hill you can see the london skyline very far in the distance um and normally you can't see it because of the smog Mm. And today, the air was so clear, we could see all of the, each individual building, you could see them all twinkling in the distance. And I thought that is what is happening right now is, you know, the, the earth is healing itself, there's much less pollution. And I really hope that that will be something that we take on board. Um, and that we'll all have more thought for what we're doing and what we're consuming and, um, actually not doing stuff is actually okay. Yes, if we managed to bring something good out of this, then yeah. um, this very difficult time, then that would be that would be great. I mean, um, it, yes, it's a lot of you know without flights and without all these things, it's going to certainly be a greener year than people were expecting. Yes. Um, so yes, I am still in my flat in Oxfordshire. I decided to to stay here. I did think about potentially moving to my brother's. I didn't get as far as asking him. He might well have said no, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I decided just to stay in my own space and and in the countryside and that was that was nice i was in self-isolation for a week with a little bit of a cough i was i was feeling fine but just being cautious and the and when that was over just going out and 
being able to walk sort of into the fields near my house, I was so just overwhelmed with emotion for a bit, being like, I can get back out of here, I can see the sunshine, I can see these quite frisky cows. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's certainly nice having a cat around, so I don't feel like I'm completely isolated at the moment. Mm. Um, but something, I, I wrote a blog post about this recently. Um, I was certainly at the beginning of the time and we're now a couple of weeks well I'm a couple of weeks in so I was self-isolating before lockdown um I was finding it quite hard to read uh I was sort of picking up lots of different things and I, just not being able to turn off the anxious brain to get mm. on the reading brain um and just not finding things were quite right and I got a few pages in and realized I hadn't taken anything in and it was interesting to see um in the response to that blog post how many people were in mm. the same boat so I'm interested are you finding as you say, you're not. You haven't got more free time than usual, but are you, right. are you finding that you're able to to read? Uh, and I mean, if you are, what what's working? Yeah, last week I really wasn't. I I was finding it really different, difficult to concentrate. I mean, I'm quite a pragmatic person, and I don't tend to get worried about things. But I've just been. I mean, what was I was just quite stressed the whole time, and I was worried about my parents, and, mm. you know, as we're all getting to their age now, where our parents are getting older, I was just like, oh gosh, what something happens to them, and now I feel like I've calmed down a bit, and my parents have actually started respecting uh, the <laughs> lockdown things, because before then, they were just doing, carrying on life as normal. We've all had that, like, reversal of telling our parents yeah. off for going like, out. Oh, stay inside, you <laughs> stop it. And they were like, oh, well, we're just going to pop my mum, I was like, oh, God, I'm still going to go to the hairdressers, and I was like, what I are you doing? you're not. Stay yes, my parents for a while seemed to think that because they were under 70, they were therefore immune, but yeah. <laughs> but no. <laughs> no. So now they're being very good. They're going on their one walk a day and then um, there, that's it. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, but yeah, this let's say last week I was really struggling and I gave up on my Hillary mantle because I thought I just can't get into this and it's too much concentration required. So that's yeah. when I read one of my misreads and that got me back into the swing of things. And then um, this week I've been reading um, The Lost Pianos of Siberia, which is a non-fiction book um, right up my street. My colleague recommended it to me just before... Um, we broke up, we left school on the last day, actually. She came bounding in and was like, you've got to get this, you're going to love it. So I was like, okay. And I went straight down to Waterstones. And it's a non-fiction travelogue, basically, of this woman, uh, an English woman, who goes travelling through Siberia in search of the pianos that have been left there throughout the last three centuries, essentially. Oh, wow. And uses those pianos in the the pianos she's looking for in the place that she goes to or the pianos she finds because she doesn't always find the pianos she's looking for which I feel is you know very metaphorical <laughs> and it's kind of like a history of Siberia a history of the people who've who've been there for particular reasons because obviously it's is that its main history what most people think of is the gulag and exile mm. um but it's it's just such a fascinating place. It's always been something I've been interested by, and obviously I'm also interested in pianos. Um, so, yeah, it's been absolutely fascinating, and it's been a slow read for me um, because, again, you know, concentrating is hard, and especially non-fiction, you do need to pay mm. attention to what you're reading. But I finished that today, and that was really lovely, and I felt I feel like now, okay, I'm back in the swing of things, and I want to read something else. And so um, I've got a few books lined up to read next, and I think I should be able to... To concentrate a bit more now and next week from next week i don't have to teach at home for two weeks because i will be on easter holiday so i'll have time and um yeah i've got the underground railroad to read for school ah, yeah. um that's what the kids voted my year 11s voted they wanted to read for their their next book to study so i said it had to be american and they wanted a modern one so i gave them options and that's what they picked so i, I don't really know much about it was it did it win the book of powers i think it did maybe yeah, maybe maybe um, yeah, it's not normally my kind of book, so we're going to see whether I get on with it or not. But I said, uh, if you want, if you guys want to read it, then I'll read it. So, um, yeah, so that's that's next up. So I'm hoping I'll be able to breeze through that because I mean, this seems like a gift to all readers, doesn't it? You're stuck at home, nothing else to do. Um, you'll get through all of that reading you've meant to do um, for the last years, like you know, people cracking out, mm. counts of War and Peace and what have you. <laughs> but I wonder whether any of us have got the attention span to do yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I found I have to be more choosy. I was, but before I say what I'm reading, I just wondered when you mentioned pianos, have you read um, Have you read the Piano Shop on the Left Bank by? Yes, I have. Yes. And I loved it. So yeah. good, love it. Mm. Um, yeah. So I tried various things, and um, coming up in 
the middle of April is um, the next of the of the club years that Karen uh, Cagsy's bookish ramblings and I organise, um, which is nineteen twenty club this time. Which oh, lovely! Obviously, I'm very happy about. Um, That'll and, be very easy for you. I know. I mean, my list of books to read is for it is quite long, uh, and the one I'm currently reading is Tension by E.M. Delafield. Oh, I've not heard of that one, Simon. Yeah, it's not. Um, Super well, I suppose it is more available now because she's out of copyright, so there's a million like print on demand versions of it. But I've had it since 2004, and according to my like list of books I've read, I read it in 2004, but I have I'm halfway through now and I have not recognized a single moment of it, so (laughs) I'm not sure that's true. But it's um, it's one of her funny ones for if for people who have only read diary of a provincial lady it might come as a surprise that a lot of her books are very miserable (laughs) um uh particularly um some of her early books mostly people being unhappy in nunneries but um this is not that it is it's this uh two families living near each other and the impact one of the major theme is the impact that has where that happens when um a relative publishes a novel called why ben a story of the sexes (laughs) <laughs> which I think is just brilliant. I love that. Um, so yeah, that's definitely working. And, and I've been re- prepping a few other 1920s books. I read one by Dennis McHale and one by Rose McCauley. And those were all the right sort of thing uh, for me at the moment. Although interesting Perfect. what you said about um, nonfiction. And that I also found that I could get on with nonfiction because, and this, this possibly <laughs> doesn't show me in a good light, but I was thinking if I miss a few pages while I'm reading because I can't concentrate, it doesn't matter in quite the same way. Mm. I'm not going to lose like the thread of a narrative. Yeah, I can just like pick up with wherever I am next. So I'm, I've been reading um, um, Psychoanalysis, The Impossible Profession by Janet oh. Malcolm, uh, which is interesting. Janet Malcolm, I feel like I know her for something to do with Virginia Woolf. Um, I don't think she's written about Virginia Woolf. She's written about yeah. Gertrude Stein. Um, I'm trying to think, because I read Two Lives, which is about Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Tocqueville. Oh, I know. She wrote Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes. Oh, did she? Okay. Yeah, I read she, that. I think she's a brilliant, brilliant writer. Um, and after I read Two Lives, I just went and got everything that she wrote, basically. Well, par- probably not everything, because I don't have the Sylvia and Ted one. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, she's wonderful. So, so that's working as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we can sort of segue into our into our first topic, which is comfort zones. Yes or no? And I guess it can be: do we have them, and do we need them, and all that sort of thing. But um, what comes what comes to your mind when you think of comfort zones? Um, that's a really good question. I think um, for me, it's kind of reading that in a really kind of lazy way means I don't need to think. Mm-hmm. I don't have to concentrate too much and it tends to be stories where that I suppose are kind of cheesy a little bit in a way where it's like everything happens that should happen and everybody gets what they deserve and there's a nice happy ending and it just feels very you know like a hot water bottle <laughs> the good and happily and the bad and unhappily that is what fiction means to quote yeah. the positive being honest <laughs> yeah exactly and I mean that's that's kind of what you want, isn't it? You don't want something that's got an unresolved ending or when, you know, something awful happens to a character that you that you really like. So there's there's that element, the, the kind of the misread, the Dorothy Whipple, those sorts of books. But I also really enjoy reading a nice, good golden age murder mystery mm-hmm. as well. What about you? Yeah, I think I tend to use the term like comfort zone or comfort reading more when I'm talking about reading outside of my comfort zone. Mm. So it tends to be more what I define uh, by contradiction. So I was thinking, you know, when I recently, last year I read my friend Monty's book called The Remarkable Life of the Skin, for example, which is a non-fiction sort of accessible science about the skin, which... I can't imagine anyone picking that up and thinking, you know what, Simon would love this. Uh, but I actually really enjoyed it. Once I, you know, I had to skip some bits because I'm very squeamish and some of it was a bit gross. Mm-hmm. But um, if I think about the sort of things that are outside my comfort zone, I guess it helps define what my comfort zone is. And yeah, like like you, I think it's, um, I don't necessarily need a happy ending, but I, I need it to be easy to read and it doesn't have to be badly written by any means. In fact, that would make it harder to read. But the sort of things that I'm reading now, I guess, the sort of 1920s and 30s novels where um, it's not good. It's not, you know, 
uh, very experimental in in its prose it's just it's just well written and easy flows along it's there's no um complicated time jumps or anything i don't have to worry too much about paying too much attention i just go with it and enjoy it um uh, and that's, I guess that's comfort reading rather than comfort zone. I guess comfort zone's a bit, a bit wider, but comfort, comfort reading is, yeah, things that give me that sort of sense of nostalgia for the 1920s that obviously I wasn't alive in, uh, and, mm-hmm. it, and it would have been much bleaker to be alive in it than some of the novels I, that I read suggest, but it, I don't know, can you be nostalgic for a period you, you've never lived in? I, it feels like I'm just of going. You can, yeah. yeah. And, and it is that sort of nostalgia that is not based on fact, right? I'm well aware that for many people it was a terrible time. Um, and even for the more privileged people, it, would, it wouldn't have been a, a wonderful time with post war and depression, all that sort of thing. Mm. But there's something about it that just reading about it makes me feel like I'm in a comfortable place. Uh, and so, yeah, that's the sort of thing that I would put in put in that list. Uh, yeah, I suppose for me, comfort reading and comfort zone, I, I tend to think of as different things. So, I mean, when I'm thinking about reading that's in my comfort zone, it would, I mean, I think my comfort zone is quite broad, actually. Um, you know, it, it tends to be mostly books by women, I suppose. Hmm. Um, and... Uh, I very much enjoy my middle brow mid-century fiction, but I'm also equally happy reading more modern stuff, historical fiction, that kind of thing. So there's lots of things that I'm into. I would say stuff that falls outside of my comfort zone would be things like science fiction, fantasy, stuff that I literally never read. Um, Have there been any times you've read something outside your comfort zone and been surprised that you really like it? Um, well, there's been those times when you've... This is you leading me into saying something about Miss Hargrave. I hadn't even thought about it, but yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, when you've given me those... What do you call them? What's your term for them? Fantastic. Dom- yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it domestic fantastic? Domestic fantastic is what I called it in my doctoral thesis. Thank yes. you very much. No, you're very welcome. Coined, <laughs> a phrase coined by Dr. Simon Thomas. Thank you very much. Um the yeah that those books did surprise me actually by how much I did enjoy them because I'm not really a fan of magic um and things like that I prefer my reading to be realistic and in a world that I recognize and I was surprised by how much I enjoyed them if it's got a little bit of fantasy in it but it's it's still a realistic world I can get along with it and I I was fully expecting to hate those books like uh Lolly Willows and Miss Hargraves um, it's probably another one that you forced me yeah, to read. Yeah, The Love Child, I forced the you to love read. The Love Child, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I was annoyingly, um, I was pleasantly surprised by how much <laughs> I liked them. And I didn't want to like them because I didn't want to give you the satisfaction. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, yes, you won, Simon, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, that has surprised me. And I think, I was trying to think what other books I've read that I've I've enjoyed unexpectedly. Um Sometimes I'll read a modern a modern book that I have to read for school, or I say modern, so you know it's something published in the last ten years. Yeah, <laughs> um, like that I'll read or that a colleague recommends to me, and I think oh, I really don't think this is my cup of tea, but I probably ought to read it because I need to have a broader range of literature to draw upon when I'm teaching the kids. And um, so a book like um, Americana, for example, by mm. uh, Ngozi Adit, no. To a Mandarin goes Edici. Yeah, thank you so much. I was like, I know that's her name, but I'm really worried about saying it wrong. Um, that I wasn't expecting to like because it's not normally the kind of thing I would read. I don't tend to read books set outside of, you know, Western cultures. And this was a real revelation for me. And that's a brilliant started, book, yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic book and really made me want to read more about the experience of immigration, of, of, of being in modern day Africa. Um, and that actually set me off on a little path to discover some more um, re- writers that are writing about countries and experiences and um, people outside of my direct experience. And I've really enjoyed that. So, yeah, I think they're, they're books that I wouldn't necessarily go towards in a bookshop. You know, there's particular book titles or covers or authors that I'd, you know, beeline for in a bookshop or topics that you think, mm. oh, about Victorians, brilliant. You know, I'll, I'll grab that. Victorian uh, viaducts, yes, yeah, please. Yeah, I know, it's brilliant. It's got a train in it, I'll take it. You know, there's <laughs> these kind of books that you just think, oh, yeah, that's got me written all over it. 
But I think sometimes it's great to be forced to pick something up that you wouldn't ordinarily, um, because actually those books can be transforming for you as a person to open your eyes up to experiences and places that you've never even thought about and could actually trigger a, a new interest or a new passion that you didn't even know was there. Um, so yeah, I do true. think it's important to push yourself. But I think at times like this, when you just want to be steeped in comfort and the things that make you feel safe, I don't think there's anything wrong in sticking to your favorites. And I think also, um, for me, I've been having a sort of hankering to reread. Um, Mm. I'm really wanting to go and reread Jane Austen and get, and soak myself into something familiar where I know exactly what's going to happen. And I think that's probably a response to a situation where none of us do know what's going to happen. Um, yes, day day one of my self-isolation, I cracked open Pride and Prejudice. This is what we need now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I was thinking, yeah, for my, my me going out of comfort zone, uh, other than the skin book, um, <laughs> I did really enjoy. I never read poetry, and I don't really understand it. But I did um, read "People on the Bridge" by Wisława Zimborska a few years ago. Which, oh, right, that's um, a very impressive pronunciation, there. Sir. Well, I mean, if it's correct, it is. <laughs> so I just say it quickly and hope for the best. Uh, a Polish poet who I think is very famous in Poland, um, which was given to me in a book group I, I'm in, we do a thing occasionally where it's like a secret Santa, but this was actually in the summer where we just all bring a book and put it in the middle and then you pick out a book and they're all wrapped up. So you don't know what you're getting, but you're not picking for a specific person. Okay. So I don't think anyone would have particularly picked this one for me, but um, I thought, well, since I own it, why not? I read it. And we, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I will say more often when I'm reading outside my comfort zone, I end up being proved correct. And I'm sure, I'm sure you do. I'm sure most people do. There's a reason we have these, these comfort zones in our head. So, for example, I recently started Cersei by Madeleine Miller. Um, oh, yeah. And I know it's not historical fiction because it's not real. It's based on mythology. But for me, that makes it even worse than historical fiction uh, in terms of not being what I want to read because I like people to write about their own countries and their own times and when they're writing. Yes. As, as I've often said on the podcast, and it turns out if someone's writing about a time that never existed, it's even worse than writing about the past. I gave up pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, something that you said earlier when you were talking about books you'd recently read that struck me is you referred to, um, I read one of my misreads. And I like that sort of use of the word my, which we do with our comfort zone books, don't we? Yeah. Or comfort reading books. We're like, oh, I'm going to read one of my Agatha Christie's or something. And it's it's that sort of sense of um it's not not quite ownership sort of you like you'd say my friend so and so it's like it's relational in a way isn't it with comfort yeah. reading no it is and you feel like it's a world that you belong to and that you can insert yourself into and feel completely at home in um and i think this it takes a really special book and often not a book that would be considered fantastic by the mm. literary establishment um mm but one that, yeah, you just feel like you can absorb yourself into and that feels, yeah, like coming home, I suppose. That's nice, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically, yes, please, to comfort zones and comfort reading. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely a time and a place to read outside of those, but that is not this time and this place. No. Um, great. Yeah. So we have a question for the middle part from Michelle. Oh, okay. Thank you, Michelle. It might be more one for me than you, but we'll 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 see. <laughs> oh, um, no, it's just going to be one where my ignorance is shown. <laughs> uh, well, she I think she's very much catered to my taste in that she's asked, um, "Can we recommend any books about books?" Oh, oh right, okay, yes, no, but yeah. this is you, this is you, isn't it? <laughs> so before I launch into a real. Um, and I don't think we've answered this question quite like this before. Sorry if we've already answered your question, Michelle, and I'd forgotten that. But um, have we, Rachel? I don't, I don't think we have. Do we have? Okay. Yeah. As, I was, as I was saying, I was thinking, I must have gone on this spree of recommendations before. But um, before I do pick out some of my favourites, um, are there any that... I know you hate <laughs> Howard's End is on the Landing by Susan Hill, but, <laughs> but are there any that you do like? Ugh. um i really like um i like looking at books about book covers and book Mm, illustrations mm. um so there's a really wonderful book that i and i think you bought it as well after you saw it at my house um the the dust jacket one what's it i did it was gorgeous yeah um uh, simon you'll put that in the comments won't you you know what i mean yeah i can't remember the title either but um, um but i'll put it in 
Yeah, it's a wonderful book um, that that charts the history of of, of the dust jacket and the illustrators, uh, and it focuses on some of the most prominent illustrators of of dust jackets. And it's just a really wonderful book to see how fashions and dust jackets have changed. Mm-hmm. I find the design of books really interesting and how that changes over time. Um, and different editions of books and how different illustrators interpret um, different parts of the books over time. So that kind of thing I really enjoy. I also really enjoy Penguin book covers and the history of Penguin design. So I've got a book all about that. It's called Penguin by Design. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's really good. Um, in terms of books written about the experience of reading books or kind of autobiographies through book reading, I haven't read an enormous amount of them. I've got a lot of them, <laughs> but I've never actually read that many of them. I've got um, a child's – when I was a child, I read books, with which is a, oh, yeah. which is a Marilyn Robinson essays, which I've, I've not yet read. Um, and I've also got the, the child that books built. Um, mm by Francis Spofford maybe I might have made that's that. right yeah 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 um which I've been meaning to read for a long time um and just and I've got a lot of those books about um there's uh the middle march and me and um specific books about the relationship between the writer and a particular book or a particular author I think um, it, is that the road to middle march yes yes by Thank Rebecca someone yes yeah. dead Oh, that sounds right. Yes. Yeah, might have made that up. Um, so yeah, I've, and I'm interested in reading those sorts of books. I'm very interested to read about people's experiences of reading, but I, I seemingly never interested enough to actually, <laughs> actually <that>. do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've also got the Robinson and the Spufford and haven't read them, so maybe that could be a future yes uh, podcast episode. Um, yeah, I treat myself to them every now and then. I buy everyone I hear about, and I have piles and piles of them but i'm i'm worried that i'll get through them too quickly <laughs> and i'm going to i'm going to hold myself to just three recommendations for you, for you michelle uh sort of um <laughs> one is the shelf by phyllis rose which i must reread phyllis rose is has written biographies of various people including virginia wolf but she wrote this wonderful book called the shelf where she just read every book on a shelf in the new york library she's yeah it's really great she she went through until she found one that didn't have i think she didn't want to read more than two books by the same author or something but she she had all these things and she went somewhere around l i don't think i'd i think i'd only heard of one of the authors on it um and i can now can't remember his name but the guy who wrote phantom of the opera gaston someone maybe oh yeah i know who you mean i can't think of his name either yeah he was there uh it's just (laughs) (laughs) this wonderful uh, exploration not just of what she thinks of the books but all the tangents it leads her on and then she gets, she reads various translations of the same Russian novel and she goes to find one of the authors it's, it's just wonderful um, and really I, I always love any sort of um, reading that's guided a bit by chance like that so I find that really interesting seeing what she comes across um, yeah. my second one will be Phantoms on the Bookshelf, I think it's called Phantoms on the Shelf by Jacques Benet who um I wrote it in French. Uh, it's about um, what it's like to own tens of thousands of books, uh, oh. and which he does. And it's it's sort of about this club, not real club, but you know the club of like-minded people who do own tens of thousands, and how you know it's easier to just buy a book if you if you can't find it on the shelf because you'll never find it, and all those sorts of things. And it made me feel like I don't own enough books. So one day, Jacques, I'll be with you. Um, and I'm cheating a bit with my third one because I'm just going to recommend everything by Alberto Manguel, who has written uh, Reader on Reading and The Library at Night and ooh, lots of others. Unpacking my books, he did one all about culling his library. Yeah. And yeah, he's written, he sometimes a little sort of highfalutin and he writes, <laughs> he always goes back to, um, I don't actually know how you pronounce this author's name, B-O-R-G-E-S. B-O-R-G-E-S, Borges, Borges? Let's say it's that, yeah. I mean, I don't speak a word of Spanish, so I'm discussing that. (laughs) That sounds right to me. Um, And yeah, he he will just come back to him in every single book over and over, and I've never read a word of him. But but he's very infectious with how seriously he takes a love of reading as well. It's not just a sort of, you know, pastime or something just to say it wasn't this fun. He, He takes it 
the history of reading and the practice of reading as a re- really interestingly as a sort of science as well as an art and as well as something to enjoy and he's he crafts essays about it very well so yeah those are my top three recommendations but i could i could recommend many more well i'm glad that howard's end is on the landing wasn't on the list of recommendations <laughs> i actually i mean i love it so much but people can go back and listen to the episode where we argue about that if they want to yeah please do i'm sure be very entertaining yeah. <laughs> absolutely Mm. Um, thanks Michelle for getting in touch if you have a question that you'd like us to answer um, recommendations or anything then email teaorbooks at gmail.com and we'll almost certainly do it great yeah yeah Um, please do right final section two novels by Willa Cather Um, do you mind if I introduce us to Lucy Gayhart because I just read it yeah go ahead I mean I read both of these a long time ago so I'm relying on my own blog posts (laughs) <laughs> Excellent. So Lucy Gayhart is about a girl of that name who grows up in a small um, town. I can't remember where the small town is actually. Is it in Man? Nebraska. In Nebraska. Okay. She lives in a Both small. Both of these novels are set in Nebraska. Ah. Uh, yeah, a small community where she um, is well liked. She has a older sister who isn't so fond of her, but she she sort of has a little sort of relationship with the local cheerful boy but she decides to go off to Chicago and see what more the world can offer uh, and starts working as an accompanist for um, a great musician uh, when his usual one is um, unwell with a broken leg or something like that so she she yeah does that for a bit uh, while she's there she falls in love with uh, another musician called Clement Sebastian um, or possibly a more French version of that. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, I won't say what happens too much after that, because, but it, suffice to say, things don't work out that happily, as they often don't in Willa Catherine novels. Um, and she does return home, and it's a, uh, a look at the small town life versus big town life, and also w- what sort of person can feel at home in those places, what sort of person can follow ambitions and what life was like for a girl who wanted to follow ambition, her ambition, um, but also wasn't completely steely-minded in 1930s or whenever this was published. Yeah. Very good summary. Um, so A Lost Lady is set in Nebraska too. Again, small town Nebraska, which is where Willa Kappa lived herself. Um, and it's the story of Neil Foster. He is the person who, through whom we see the story. And he's a young boy at the beginning of the novel and he's kind of a young adult by the end. And it's about his um, obsession with Marion Forrester, who lives in that, the nicest house in the town with her husband and she's beautiful and she's like a social butterfly who always knows the right things to say and um he's sort of enchanted by her as a child and then it's uh when he comes back as an adult he um he sees her and i can't say everything because it'll ruin the plot yeah. <laughs> um but he he sees her in a in a different light um mm, and it kind yeah. of ruins his um childhood impressions of her and it kind of yeah it's it's a sort of shattering of his illusions essentially yeah yeah um so, so yeah, i first no you've read a lot of Winnicathers, haven't you? i haven't read a huge number i read the professor's house a long time ago and i didn't particularly like it although i now think i probably would um and then i didn't read any for a while and then i read a lost lady last year um i read alexander's bridge maybe towards the end of last year or early this year no end of last year as I was still doing project names. <laughs> um, and yeah, Lucy Gayhart. So I've only read four. Whereas you've, have you read lots? Yeah, I mean, I've read most of her novels. I haven't read The Professor's House, and I think there's another couple I haven't read, but I've read most of the rest of them, yeah. I read them all, though, mostly when I was living in New York, which is, gosh, 10 years ago now. Oh my gosh, um, is it? Wow. I know, can you believe that? I, I mean, time goes so fast. Um, so. Uh, they are becoming a little bit hazy in my mind, and it's probably about time I reread. Yeah, I I just think she is one of the most amazing writers that I've read. I, the more I read of her, the more I want to read of her. And she she has this sort of very 
crisp prose that um, is very beautifully observant about things going on um, and also sort of throws sudden shafts of light through to the human soul, basically. Mm. Um, I I think she's equally mesmerising writing about, you know, a frozen lake as she is about a great love affair. And Mm. she, she never overwrites sentences. It's always quite sparse, but just manages to evoke everything she needs in, in very few words. And reading each page, you have to read... You know, I just kept, kept feeling I had to pause just to take in how beautiful it was. And not not sort mm. of beautiful in the way of poetic writing that some writers do, just beautiful in the way that she has composed a scene and told you more about the world in a description of a tree than most authors can do in an entire book. I think she's just extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, she that's what struck me when I first started reading her, because I'd never actually heard of her till I went to America and I, um, my lovely friend Ellen, who used to run the Barnes and Noble and um, mm-hmm. uptown in New York, like the big um, kind of flagship store, she said to me, oh, you've got to read a bit of Katha. And I said, oh, well, I didn't know anything about her. And she gave me one of her books. I can't remember the first one that I read. And I was just like, whoa, this is amazing. Like the prose is just incredible. And yeah, you're right. Like from a, everything she writes is mesmerizing and it's not over it's not overwritten it's mm, not mm. um self-conscious in any way it's just she manages to use just the right combination of words to create the kind of the stillness in the night air or mm. the, how it feels to be rejected by someone you love you know she can do everything and i particularly really like her books because she writes about nebraska and the prairies which um I find is not really something that I've come across massive no. literature outside of uh, William Maxwell, who writes about that kind of area as well. But most American writers that we're exposed to, they write about, you know, New York or um, maybe like the South or something like that. But you don't often get these descriptions, yeah. these big wide rolling plains. And um, so, yeah, it's, I just find her writing extraordinary. And I think these two novels in particular I found really powerful because they are both about a kind of a loss of innocence in a way. And she managed to get that, um, how that she, they're just so emotionally moving and I don't even know how she does it. Yeah. I think what's so clever about a lost lady is that she does it all through this perspective of, I can't remember. What do you say his name was? Neil. Neil. Um, and so it's not just a portrait of Mrs. Forrester. It is a, a portrait of his, the way that he matures, um, which we see in the way that he sees other people. So I guess he basically discovers that she has feet of clay and she's been this wonderful, um, idol to him before, as you say. Uh, and I think it would have been a really interesting story if it was just about, um, Mrs. Forrester's life and, the different choices she made and what happened to her but putting it through his perspective um a bit like uh so long see you tomorrow by william maxwell it, mm. it, it by giving you a slight distance to the main the main um the significant character in the story being seen at one remove uh isn't just a sort of distancing device it but it tells you it's a, it's a way of framing it that makes it so much more interesting and, and complex and like you say the loss of innocence is is in him as much as it is in her um yeah or it's like loss of illusion i guess yeah um yeah and similar thing as in lucy gayhart um something i find really interesting in that is that um we feel so sympathetic for her that even when when she comes home and her older sister is saying we've spent so much money on you on this um you know all this musical adventure that you've had in Chicago you didn't send any money back when you were earning money and now you want more money Um, which is a completely justifiable position and in in many other novels Lucy Gayhart would be the frivolous selfish sister who you're thinking how is she letting the side down but because Willa Cath is so good at taking you into someone's world even though it's not in the first person we feel in her world that you you think oh no don't be like that sister (laughs) what's her name I can't remember Pauline something like that um you don't don't sort of crush this dream um even whilst we recognize that the dream has sort of already been crushed and that she's not we still love lucy even when she's not being and we love i love lucy uh, mm-hmm. even when she even when she's not being uh sensible even when she's not really being that 
when she's really being quite selfish, we don't. Mm. I said when I was reading, is anyone who thought about it afterwards? I thought actually she's really selfish in these situations. At the time, I'm thinking she is caught up in them. She is creative and she's emotional, um, and she is good. <laughs> and it's, yeah, only later that I sort of understood how other people in the novel must be feeling. Yeah, no, because you do get completely absorbed and in, into into her mind, don't you? And you start thinking, you know, how it just it might just heart just break for her. Mm, and mm. the sadness of it all and the fact that she you know but it's also the frustration because as a as an adult reader you can look at it and think well you know it's okay because just give it five years and you'll feel like this or you'll yeah, be fine yeah. or actually if you just did this or you just said that but it's like you know I see this in when I teach you know children when they get to 17 18 and she's you know 21 22 they get so wrapped up in their circumstances and they can't see any way out of it and they think that no one else understands and no one else has ever experienced what they've been through so they don't want to take any advice and it's very much that situation and it's like this is something that she's just got to work through herself um, and you as a reader are sort of left watching this. It's like watching a Greek tragedy, isn't it? Yeah, You're watching yeah. this unfold and there's nothing you can do about it. And I think that's my only slight maybe not criticism but um i think lucy gayhart more than a last lady relies a little bit on melodrama not in terms of how it's described but in terms of events that happen which again mm. we won't describe but the, there's more sort of coincidence and tragedy and things that that happen in there that the response to them is completely realistic and i think she uses it really beautifully but it um in a lost lady is so based in the minutiae of the everyday and things that could happen to millions of people without, and you know, none of it would make a newspaper headline um, in the way that things in Lucy Gayhart do. And I, and I think I found those more, those um, events, perhaps a little more jarring against the tone of the novel. Mm. I don't know what you thought. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes she can be a little overblown. Um, but I, I think for me, they just, yeah, it just felt very real. I think it felt very real. The experience of, of what it is to be, um, to be a girl at that age. I mean, because you are still a girl. You're not a woman yet, and everything feels so overwhelming. And um, the first time you fall in love feels so overwhelming, and you can't see a way out of it. And I think I found that really powerful. Um, I think with um, a lost lady, I. I was really, I felt quite moved by it as well, but um, I don't know, I don't think I loved it as much as Lucy Gayhart, mm. um, but I still found it a really powerful book in the idea of that sort of him coming to realise that he'd been unrealistic and he needed to grow up, and it reminded me a little bit actually of The Age of Innocence, um, okay. and yeah, at the end when it's a, in a different way, but like when I can't remember the name of the main character, but when he's with his wife when he's older and his child wants to get married to somebody outside of their class and he has this huge crashing realization that time has changed and society's attitudes have changed mm, and his mm. son can do and marry exactly who he wants and he didn't have that option and he just thinks like how easy it is to just do what you want and why didn't, why wasn't I brave enough? to do that at the time and that concept of um feeling trapped in a world or feeling caught up in a set of societal values that you feel like you can't break away from or you can't see beyond um it kind of reminded it's a different sort of concept but the same idea of of having things shattered for you and i just remember feeling like oh gosh it's just like that also a little bit of um the go-between in there as well that sense Mm, of a child realizing that adults aren't perfect essentially yeah yeah definitely uh, i think we all you know remember the first time that we realized that our parents weren't perfect or something mm-hmm. and it's it is something you have to take take on board um and his yeah he's doing it in a slightly different way but um something i wish you touched on that i really like about them is that they are small town life mm-hmm. and as you say about a part of the part of america that i know very little about and don't often read in american novels and i I love any book about small town life if it takes if it's done um with proper respect for what that life is like I think quite often but perhaps more in in films than in in books it's small town life is just shorthand for 
you know, ignorance in a backwater mm. and you know the place you leave to become somebody yeah um which you know is what lucy gay is trying to do in a way before she, again she sort of loses some of her illusions there but um i think whilst lucy gayhart thinks she needs to leave that town to become somebody that's not what willa cather is ever saying she recognizes that the people who live in these communities have just as rich in their lives as anyone else are just as important as anyone else and i think she really takes advantage of um what small communities are like how how people live together and how they recognize or how they you know um, all interact with each other and i think she contrasts that really well with uh, the move to Chicago and Lucy Gayhart, and not not in a sort of uh, small fish in a big pond way. She's not like constantly overwhelmed by being in a city, but I think Cather does show the difference in what community is like in those places really well. Yeah, I think you know she's a great writer of small town America and those sort of cut off prairie communities. And you're right, she doesn't patronise them or say that, you know, the people who live here don't know anything about anything. You know, they are all people with dreams and hopes and ambitions and they have a sense of community and their lives are full of richness and value and they love where they live. And what's really interesting is that Lucy isn't destroyed by growing up in a small town. She's destroyed by the the city that she goes to Chicago, I think, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's destroyed by what happens to her there. And actually, I think what Willa Cather says through these books is that actually going to the city to to live your life and to, to discover things and to have opportunities isn't always um, the sort of halcyon future that you think yeah. it's going to be. And it's not nothing as sort of crude as, oh, if you go to that that's, that their city, they're all wicked there. It's, no. uh, um, but it is, yeah, it's saying it's not... The grass is always greener, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's not all it's made out to be because I think for a lot of people, certainly at that time, who grew up in small towns in the 1920s and 1930s, this whole idea of the American dream and you've got these amazing cities that are being built with these skyscrapers and this modernity and the idea that, you know, you're going to go there and you're going to make something of yourself and your life is going to become, you know, so much better than you could ever have imagined. And actually that was an unrealistic dream Mm -hmm. to sell to people. And ultimately, as my mum always says to me, no matter where you go, you always take yourself with you. And that is what, um, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that is what Lucy Gayhart, you know, realizes is actually she, she can't change who she is. Um, yeah. and her frustration isn't actually what she, what I think she fails to understand in the book is that her frustration isn't with where she lives, it's with who she is and how she has responded to the options available to her. But I don't yeah, think she's mature yeah. enough to be able to articulate that to herself. Uh, I did like, and it, it doesn't often work in novels, I did like the bit where it jumps a few decades on, mm. um, there's a sort of a very short section at the end about people uh, looking back on what has happened. Mm. I think, I guess in the same way of Lost Lady, she's, she's very good at time jumps and um, changes of perspective over time without it being too sort of hokey. So basically she's just brilliant. Um, (laughs) Are there others of hers that you particularly recommend? Um, Well, um, I really, love these you know i really love these two i think Mm. they're fantastic um but they're they're very similar so if you want something a bit different she doesn't write i mean she is what known for writing about nebraska but um i really enjoyed shadows on the rock which is you mentioned last time yeah yeah Yeah. which is set in quebec at the time when it was first a colony so it's set in the 17th century but it doesn't it's not written like it's set in the 17th century it feels still very fresh her prose is exactly the same and i thought thought that was a really beautiful book um for sort of a gentle read and just fascinating to have uh, a depiction of, of quebec i've never read a book set there before so I really enjoyed that. And also another one of her books that's got a really interesting setting is Death Comes to the Archbishop, which mm-hmm. is about a journey taken by an archbishop going through the um, territory, the newly acquired territory of New Mexico 
in the 19th century and it's again not something i would normally have read i didn't know what to, i didn't because i've all of my editions of with the Cather's books are hard old hard covers that don't have any blurb on them so uh, I, I didn't know what it was about when i started and I, I think i read it directly after i'd read these two so i was expecting much of the same um and i was like oh right okay no this is something completely different um and it's just such a beautiful novel and again the interiority of the characters and um, just this wonderful main character. I don't remember what his name is. It's been ten years, but yeah. I mean, I just remember it was it was absolutely remarkable. And that is something that I find so amazing about Willa Cather is that she's able to write about so many different things so well. <laughs> hey, dogs. <laughs> yeah, I. Maybe I will go outside of my comfort zone and read some historical fiction and see if she's the yeah, exception that proves the rule. The thing is, as well, she doesn't try and write in a style that makes it sound old-fashioned. So you mm, know, like some mm. you read some historical fiction and it's like, oh, they're using contempt, they're trying to use contemporary language, and it's filled with loads of what feels like unnecessary references to, um, you know, particular things that will be like type markers of this time. It just feels like you're reading something contemporary and the characters feel very contemporary. It's very interesting, actually, how she writes about the past. Now I come to think of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I left my shadows in the rock in a bookshop recently. That was foolish. Never mind. Well, I can lend it to you. When That's I eventually go yes, allowed we're allowed out again. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Of these two then, uh, Lucy Gayhart and the Lost Lady, Ooh. which, which are you going to choose? Do you know what? I think the one that left the strongest impression on me was Lucy Gayhart, and I just, yeah, I just found it so incredibly moving. So I'm going to go with that one. Okay. Yeah, I find this one really hard because I think they're just both brilliant. And a Lost Lady was on my best books I read, whichever year I read it, and I'm pretty sure Lucy Gayhart will be on there this year. Um, but I think I'm going to go for a Lost Lady, just because, as I as I said, like I like that it doesn't have any big dramatic moments. It's just. Mm everyday life and I, I i liked that consistent tone of just the everyday throughout yeah. done so so vividly um but yeah looking forward to reading more yeah for sure uh do let us know if you have any recommendations for ones well rachel's read them all already but ones that i should read um if i'm not feeling brave enough to go to historical fiction then do let us know yeah no, I would love more recommendations too because i know there are several i haven't read so oh, great. she was yeah. quite prolific actually that's good. And I like that she does a short book. Yeah. You know, you love a short book. Yeah. Um, great. So in the next episode, we'll be doing two books that Rachel has mentioned in recent episodes. Um, Aunt Mame by Patrick Dennis and Her Son's Wife by Dorothy Camfield Fisher. Mm-hmm. Both both about relatives. Let's see what else we can say about them when we've read them. I'm sure well, we'll when I've read them. to find many tenuous connections. Yeah. <laughs> we, we always do. We always do. Yeah. Um, great. So yeah, thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves, yeah, please. Take care of yourselves. Stay indoors. Stay safe. Yes. Um, wash and your hands. <laughs> wash your hands frequently. And um, we hope that yeah, everyone stays healthy and um, can find comfort in reading and in our ramblings. Yes. <laughs> um, great. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> Bye.